You guys can have a seat. All right. Thanks, Case. Wow. It's, is it brighter today or what? I can't see you guys out there. How's everybody doing? Good. A few whistles. Thank you for that. So, sad news, tonight is the last night of Renovate for the fall semester, so, any, okay, a few over here, yeah, thank you guys, you did what I asked you to do, good job. Now, um, yeah, the reason we're doing that, and I explained this last week, but for those of you who weren't here, is this is our first semester of Renovate, we, we started this thing from scratch this summer, we had just a few months to get this thing rolling, and uh, we just think that the Christmas break is a great time to stop and give everyone kind of a little breather and uh, think through what we've done this last semester and think through how we can improve. And also, another big announcement, we have the college ministry merging with us, Life Stage 2. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, for those of you who know Ben Fuquay, he is an awesome guy, he's our college pastor. And we just felt like college was the beginning of young adults, not the end of Life Stage 1. So we're going to bring them on board. And they're starting up in, on uh, January 15th, their, their weekend uh, worship service. So we're going to be starting up on January 21st. So that's five weeks. Um, but we will have some things that we're doing between now and then. And one of those things is our end-of-the-year Christmas party which is this Friday night at Mainstay Farm. Anybody been to Mainstay Farm? Raise your hand real high. Uh, not many. So new experience. That's always nice. Mainstay Farm is an awesome place. Uh, Mariana and Jim Wilson run it. They're members here at Christ Chapel. Awesome people. And we're going to have hay rides, and we're going to be catering babes chicken. We're going to have music and line dancing, all that fun stuff. And uh, if you have not registered yet, we have a table outside that you can register at afterwards. Um, we take credit cards, debit cards, checks, whatever you want to do. But uh, really the, the cost is to cover Babe's Chicken and we have to rent the facility. No one else will be out there. It's just us and they're going to have workers out there. So I'm bringing the Durham family so the little girls are going to be running around. There's a little bounce house thing. So we're going to have a great time and I hope to see you there. Um, if you're a guest, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Renovate. This is for young adults. This is a place that we, um, it doesn't matter where you are in life, we want you to come be a part of our ministry. Um, we're all broken. We're all in the process of being transformed and renovated, so we hope that you have a great experience tonight. We are finishing up a series called The Comparison Trap, and uh, the first week we talked about what exactly this idea is of comparison and what we found out, hopefully, is that we all do it all the time. All the time. And so the first week we looked at this idea of we're constantly looking to our left and our right, comparing ourselves to other people. It doesn't matter what field you're in. It doesn't matter what ministry you're in. It doesn't matter how old you are. We are um, hardwired to look to other people to see where we need to be. And what we find is, is that there are other people who are prettier than us. There are other people who make just a little bit more money than us. There are other people who are maybe just a little bit more successful than us in, in our own perception. And because of that, we get discouraged. And we get discontent. And in ministry, some ministers are, are, are some of the worst at this. Because we look at other churches, we look at other ministries, and we think, ah, oh, we just don't measure up. We're not quite where they are. And it's a terrible trap to fall into. And so what that breeds is discouragement and discontentment. But on the other side, 
There are people that aren't as good looking as us in our own minds. There are people that don't make quite as much as we do. There are people who don't live in quite as nice a house as we have. There are people who don't have a boyfriend and girlfriend or girlfriend. And so we feel like we're just a little bit ahead of them. And so what happens is we've got self-righteous, proud, discouraged, depressed people, which is a terrible place to be. And I have been there. And so what's the remedy to that? We talked about that last week. The remedy to this comparison trap is to find your identity in Jesus Christ. And so we laid that out. What is your reference point for where you are in life? It shouldn't be your parents. It shouldn't be the person who's just ahead of you in your career. It shouldn't be your best friends and where they're at. The, the way we find out where we are in life is by looking at Jesus Christ and who he says we are. And so I talked about the mirror that we all look at. We need to look at a mirror, and a lot of you look at the wrong mirror, and what you see back from that mirror is not what you like, because a lot of times it's somebody else, or it's this perfect expectation that you have for yourself, but that mirror needs to be Jesus Christ. And so we talked about how in Christ, by faith in Christ, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, we're adopted, we're given a new nature, we're given new desires, we're given new affections, we're given new joy and peace. We've been adopted into God's family and we're declared sons and daughters of God. And that should be where we root who we are in this life. And that should be where we find our identity. And when we find our identity in Jesus Christ, we, we, we begin to not worry as much about what other people think. We begin to not worry as much about how much this job pays, but is this a job where I can find joy and is this a job where I can use my gifts and abilities? When you find your identity in Jesus Christ, it transforms the way you live. And I can tell you, when, when I played baseball as a believer, when I fell into the comparison trap, it's funny how my level of play went down. Because I started looking around and I'm like, man, I'm not doing as well as this person. Or what if I get benched? Or what does the coach think? And on and on it went. But when I found my identity in Jesus Christ, it transformed the way I played baseball. Because I was free. Finally, I was free to just play the game that God had called me to play. And I wasn't worried about what people think. And I'm telling you, when you get to that point in your life where you're not comparing yourselves to others... It will transform the way you live your life on a day-in and day-out basis. So we're going to build on these first two weeks. And tonight we're going to look at a parable in Matthew chapter 25. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. It's verses 14 through 30, so it's a, it's a big chunk. But real quick before we dive in, um, parables are just fictional stories that Jesus frequently told in the Bible that, that normally had one pithy, punchy point that it was trying to communicate. A lot of us read parables and we try to find six or seven different things and we get into the details, but really parables are communicating one specific point that Jesus wants you and me to get. And so as we're reading through this, and we're just going to kind of walk through this and I'm going to make some comments along the way, but as we're reading through this, I want you to remember that there's one specific thing that Jesus wants to get across. And so Matthew 25 Verses 14 to 30. And it starts out by saying, for it. What, what in the, what's it? If you, there, there's several parables that this is in the middle of. And the it that Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's the it. So, for it will be like, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey 
who called his servants, and here's the key phrase, entrusted them to his property. So what's interesting is he, he didn't give the servants anything to keep. He entrusted his property to the servants. He went away on a journey and he said, I'm going to give you a few things to watch over and to steward while I'm gone. They're not yours, they're mine. Okay? So he goes on and he says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. So he gave each certain amounts of money, and this idea of talent is not like talent like I can juggle or talent like I can hit a baseball. It's, it's talent monetarily. It's a, it's a monetary currency in this time period. So he gives them each pieces of his wealth based on their abilities, it says, to each according to his ability. And I don't know if you knew this, but in the, in, in the kingdom of God, meaning in the way that God does things, he doesn't give us all the same talents, gifts, and abilities equally. And I know you all know that, but I want you to stop down and think about that more deeply. We're not all given the same talents and gifts across the board equally. Some of us are given many more gifts than others. There's some preachers that have 10, 15 gifts. I think of guys like John Piper and Tim Keller that have these profound memories and, and uh, these, this ability to communicate and to reach people in different contexts. And you look at them and go, man, these guys are brilliant. God had given them gifts. And God has given you particular gifts. And, and he gives them to each different person in different quantities. I think that's going to be important as we move on. But in the kingdom of God... Not all are created equal. The quicker we understand this, the quicker we're going to be able to get over this idea of comparison. But it continues. He says, then he went away. So the master went away. And in verse 16, it says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. And he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. It's almost like this, this guy who had so few talents. You know, he looks at the guy with the five, he looks at the guy with the two, he's like, I've only got one, I don't want to mess this thing up. This is the only talent gift I've got. I, I don't want to mess it up, so I, out of fear, I'm going to bury it because it would be a disaster if I tried to use it and mess it up. So it goes on in verse 19. Now, after a long time, and when the parables that Jesus tells says a long time, it always means at the end of time. So meaning at the judgment day. And in this account, it's when the, the guy comes back. And so it says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So just picture this. They've been given these, these monetary talents and they've been asked to steward them and he was, they were entrusted with them. And they had decades and decades with these things to use and cultivate and to steward and then one day the master returns. It's the day of reckoning. They see him coming. And the first two guys, I think, were excited to see the master coming because of what they did with those talents. And so it goes on in verse 20. And he who had received the five talents came forward, probably excited, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered or another word for that, is entrusted. You entrusted to me five talents, and here I have made five talents more. So he's like, I got it done. 
I used what you gave me, and I, I was a good steward of it, and I built on that. And in verse 21, his master said to him, what many of you have read in the Bibles, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. Do we not all want to hear that at the end of our lives? Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. In verse 22, he also, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. So didn't have as many as the other guy, but he, he used them, he doubled them, he made the most of it. And what did his master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. And listen to this. He says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set over you much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the interesting thing in the kingdom of God is when you're faithful with little, God gives you more responsibility. And on the eternal scope of things, those who are faithful with little on this earth will be rewarded in the next life. It's a principle in the kingdom of God. Whatever God has entrusted to you, no matter how great it is or how, how small it is, if you're faithful with what God has entrusted to you, you will have more responsibility and you will receive an award or a reward. But there's a transition in verse 24. We see a shift. And it says in verse 24, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was what? I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you, you have what's yours. The funny thing is, did you see anywhere in there Master, here's what you entrusted to me. Was that anywhere in that verse? Nowhere. The first thing he started with was an excuse. The first thing he started with was questioning the character of the master. You're a hard man. You're an unmerciful man. You're ruthless. And I didn't want to mess up. And I was fearful. And you only gave me one talent. So, I, I mean, I couldn't risk giving up this one talent because that could be a disaster. So what I'm going to do is just bury it. Here's your talent back. And the master was not too pleased with that. In verse 26, he says, it says, But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. And this idea of slothful is like shrinking, hesitating. You, you servant who I, I entrusted you with something. And you hesitated. I entrusted you with something and you were fearful. Because you didn't understand my character. You didn't understand who I was. And you didn't understand the ramifications of taking something that I would given you. And not using it to my glory. And for my kingdom. And so it continues. The master says... You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. It's almost like a hypothetical. If that's who I was, if that's really who I was, verse 27, then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was, my, what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. So the master said, because of your 
hesitation, because of your laziness, because of your fear, because you questioned my character and who I was as your master, I'm going to take the one talent that you had and I'm going to give it to the person, to the guy who had the ten talents. And some of us may think, well, that's not fair. What about the guy with two talents? But the master can do whatever he wants with his talents. The master can do whatever he wants with his money. And those who've been given much have have greater responsibility. And some of you out here have been given much. Some of you have great potential and gifts and resources and skills and abilities. And with the, the greater abilities comes a greater responsibility towards your master, which we'll see later on is Jesus Christ. So he took the talent from the guy who only had one and he gave it to the guy with ten. And then he says this, for to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And really the point here is, we have a responsibility. A key part of discipleship. A key part of our lives being renovated and changed and transformed into the image of Christ is to use our gifts and abilities to the glory of God. And what he's saying here is the ones that do that will be given more. The ones that don't, the ones that bury, the ones that fear, the ones that hesitate, the ones that question me, whatever they have will be taken away and they will have nothing. The end of this parable is is hard. But using one's gifts and abilities wisely and productively is a key part of discipleship. And so in verse 30, the the passage that, or the verse that strikes fear in many people who read it. And then he says, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It obviously doesn't go well for the servant who wastes this opportunity. And blames the master and questions the character of the master powerful parable powerful parable for a bunch of young adults in their 20s and 30s that have all of their life ahead of them this is a powerful parable about what you're going to do with what God has given you and so the, the, the key point of this parable in my opinion and this is what I want you to get if you don't get anything else is that what you have is less important than what you do with what you have What you have is less important than what you do with what God has given you. Sadly, I've spent most of my life questioning why God didn't give me this or that instead of focusing on what I can do with what God has given me. I always bring up baseball, but that was my life for 24 years. And playing professional baseball, I'm telling you, every spring training, when new guys show up that are bigger, faster, and stronger, I could easily, and I did easily, get tempted to think, I've got to be somebody different than who I am. And so instead of trusting in what got me there, I started questioning in my abilities and wondering, why didn't I get the gift of this person or that person? And for you guys, I mean, you fill in the blank of where God has you in life or what career you're in or who, who you're pursuing for dating or things like that. If you don't watch out, you're not going to focus on the things that God has given you and you're going to spend all your hours worried about why God didn't give you something else. 
What a waste of the best years of your life. What a waste in, in the, the years of your life that are the most important. You're choosing your careers. You're choosing your spouse. You're choosing where you're going to live. You're choosing so many important things. Why do you want to waste your time worrying about why God didn't give you five gifts when he gave you four? To me, this series is called The Comparison Trap, but I think this series is about freedom in Christ. Because the comparison trap will kill you. The comparison trap will zap you of any joy that you have ever hoped of having. So I think this series is more about freedom for Christians. And sadly, many of us are not living this joyful life that the Bible talks about. I've read the Bible, I'm like, why am I not experiencing what Paul's talking about? Why can't I sing hymns after a bad day when Paul can sing hymns when he got beaten and put in prison? And looking at, at Paul, that, that's a man who knew who he was and knew the mission that God had called him to, and he didn't care what, what his Jewish Christian brothers thought, James and John and Peter. He cared about what God had called him to do, and that was to reach the Gentiles, and he didn't care what anybody else thought. And in fact, in one passage, it says that Paul didn't even care what he thought about himself. You want to talk about freedom when you're not worried about other people's approval and you're not even worried about the approval you have of yourself. All you care about is what God says about you. And if you're in Christ, God says approved, forgiven, justified, cleansed, transformed. And yet we live like we were before because of this stupid comparison trap that we also easily fall into. I had a close friend in uh, college at Northwestern State. He was the second baseman on the team, and we were roommates when we traveled on the road, and so we stayed in hotels on the weekends. And he was really a weird dude. His name was David Quattro Chalky. <laughs> so we called him Quattro um, because the rest of it's a waste of time. And he's from Canada, and he's a strange guy. No offense to Canadians, but this particular Canadian was weird. Um, I loved him, but we were roommates. And uh, in, in our hotel rooms, he, he always wore a hat. It didn't matter where we went, he always had a hat on. And even in our hotel room, we're hanging out watching TV, and he would wear a hat until we turned the lights out to go to bed, and he would take the hat off and set it beside the bed, and right when he woke up, hat back on. That's weird. He's bald now, and that's why. Also, he, he, the, he, in the middle of the summer, we're, we're playing baseball in the end of May and June, I, walk, I leave the hotel room to grab a bite to eat. I come back. He's under the covers with the heat on. He's freezing. And I'm like, dude, it's 105 degrees outside. And it's a sauna in this room. This dude was odd. And, and the other thing about this guy, Quattro, is he had very limited baseball skills. Like, he, he, he really shouldn't have been playing Division I baseball. He couldn't run fast. He didn't have a good arm. The way he fielded a ground ball was awkward. It, he was even weird fielding the ground ball. Everything about him was like, this guy doesn't have the talent to be here, and yet. The one thing I can say about David Quattrochaki is that he knew his talents and he knew what he had been given by God. And he knew it wasn't much. And so what David did was he didn't really spend a lot of time comparing himself to others and trying to 
increase his power and change his swing. He had a very unique swing. And every day he would be practicing in the batting cage. I mean, I worked hard, but he worked harder than anyone on the team. Every day he was in there just taking swings. Hundreds every day. Taking ground balls every day. Just, just worked and worked and worked. In our junior year, there was no expectations of David. But by the end of the junior year, he was an all-conference second baseman. And he batted over 400 in, on a Division I team. And for those of you who know baseball, over 400 at any level is impressive. Why am I telling you that story? Because David was able to accomplish what he accomplished in baseball because he wasn't trying to be somebody else. He was trying to be David. He wasn't trying to be Tyler or Ricky or shortstop or the second baseman on our rival team. He was just trying to be David. And he knew the ingredients that God had given him and he knew they were limited, but he worked and worked and worked. And he achieved great things in baseball because of that. And so I'm just challenging you guys tonight. What has God entrusted you with? Do you even know your spiritual gifts? Do you know your personality traits that really other people identify and say, man, you're, you know, you're, just, you're just funny or you're just... You're just a, a likable person, or you just make me feel good when I'm around you. Do you know the things about your personality that God has given you that is unusual and exceptional? Do you know the skills that God's given you that you just are good at? Do you know who you are in Christ? Because that's where this whole thing starts. When you find out who you are and what God has given you and what God has entrusted to you and you don't worry about what God has entrusted to the person next to you, you don't waste any time worried about what God has entrusted to the person next to you, even if it's your best friend, you just focus on what God has entrusted to you and you say, Lord, I don't care where it takes me, I don't care where I go with this, I don't care if I don't get any recognition, I don't care if I don't get any success from the world standards, what I commit to do is I'm going to cultivate and use these gifts to the best of my ability. Because one day, I'm going to see you face to face. And one day, I'm going to have to give an account. And what I want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, why did you bury the gifts that, you, that I gave you? Why were you so focused on the other girl who was a little prettier or a little thinner or was a little more gifted at this or that? Or why were you focused on the other guy who was just a little bit more um, successful or cooler or funnier? Why did you waste your time on those things when I gave you these things? I entrusted these to you to be a steward of these things, to cultivate these things, to use these things to my glory, and to my praise. That's how you get out of the comparison trap. And so all I want to do right now is just give you a few little tips about how to start going that direction. And these are not anything profound. I could probably think of ten more. You could probably think of ten more. But these are just a few things. Give God the credit for all that you have. That's a good place to start. Realize that everything you have is a gift. Every good thing that you have is a gift from God that He gave you. So that's the first step. Realize that everything that you have is God's. He's entrusted it to you. The second tip is celebrate what God has given others. 
Stop worrying about what they have and stop being envious about what they have and start celebrating what they have and encouraging them to cultivate what they have. The third tip, think faithfulness over success. I think too many of us get in trouble comparing because we're obsessed with worldly success instead of faithfulness in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Like I've wasted a lot of time worried about success in man's eyes instead of worrying about faithfulness in God's eyes. And I would say that for this whole ministry, Renovate. God has entrusted a a wonderful ministry to us here at Christ Chapel. And there's not much like it in the city of Fort Worth, which is exploding. Why don't, why don't we worry about being faithful with what God has entrusted to us, whether you're a volunteer or a leader or just someone who's thinking about getting involved. Faithfulness instead of success, according to the world's standards. This next one is huge. Don't let fear of failure keep you from using your gifts and talents. Man, that one gets me. Don't let fear of failure keep you from using the gifts and talents that God's given you. Take a risk. Get out there and and learn more about those gifts and talents and stretch yourself and put yourself in uncomfortable situations where you can find out a little bit more about who you are. In fact, this is just off the cuff, but one, one of our guys in Life Stage 2 did that over these last, it's nearly been a year, but he went off and stretched himself and took a risk and, and traveled in Europe and got a part of a ministry there and, and just really it widened his whole view of reality and, and who God is and who God's people are. And it was just an amazing experience, I'm sure, that was life-changing, but he had to take that first step. He couldn't be afraid of failing and coming back home. And then the last one is know yourself more and know God more. And famous theologian John Calvin in the 16th century said, in order to know yourself more, you've got to know God more. And in order to know God more, you need to know yourself more. And what he means by that is the more I understand who I am, the more I know that I need God. And then when I run to God, the more I understand who God is, the more I better understand who I am. You see how that works? It's, it's circular. But you need to continue to grow as a person. Stretch yourself. Read great books. Be around great people. Grow. Stretch yourself. Learn. We have a shape class at the church where you learn your spiritual gifts. Find out who you are. And then also find out who God is. And those work together. And finally, I want to close by just saying that you can't do any of these things apart from Jesus Christ. The reason we get into the comparison trap is because we forget who we are in Christ. And we start trying to find out who we are by looking at who other people are. And so if you're a believer in the room, I just want to persuade you, encourage you, inspire you to go back to the Word of God and find out who God says you are and let that be the foundation that you build your life on, not what other people think or not other things. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you stumbled in here tonight or by coincidence you got here or whoever, who knows, I promise you, every other option in this world is all about you striving and working and attaining and climbing up the ladder to God. And and that kind of lifestyle just leads to this trap that we're talking about. Because you're going to be constantly evaluating where you are based on where other people are. And I just want to offer you a breath of fresh air. I want to offer you 
a living water that you can drink that will restore you and change you from the inside out and give you a foundation where you can truly experience contentment. Contentment that's not based on what others think, but contentment that's not based on what you think, but contentment that's based on what the God of the universe thinks about you. And the way to get that is by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you believe? It's not by striving. It's not by working. It's by belief in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And there's not a magic formula. You just go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I want this. I want Jesus. I want to be cleansed. I want to be renewed. And God will come into your life. That's my hope for you. We don't have to live in this comparison trap. There is a way out. Um, And that excites me. I hope it excites you. But let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for um, your son Jesus. I thank you for all the promises that are ours in Christ Jesus. And I just pray for those in the room who've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ that tonight that would change. That they would experience true and lasting fellowship with you that changes everything and that sets them free. And Lord, for those of us who continue to battle Uh, comparison. Give us the strength. Give us the clarity. Give us the conviction of who we are in Christ to, to get out of that trap and to flourish in life content and joyful. Lord God, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, what we're going to do, um, for those of you who've been coming here, it was odd that I came up after the first song because usually it's later on, but tonight it's our last night it's been a wonderful semester. We've, we've seen God work in numerous ways. I've heard numerous stories, and I'm so excited about what we're doing. But I want the rest of tonight to just be a response to God's faithfulness to us here at uh, Christ Chapel in Renovate. Because He has been good, and He has been reaching people through this ministry. And so you can stand, you can sit, you can go to the back area and... and lay down and pray, but let's just spend some time worshiping God and talking to God. And if you're struggling with this whole comparison thing, now would be a great time to to deal with that with the Lord. So, Casey...